0: Hey folks,
1: welcome back to the DC Three Cast. My name is Brian. With me tonight is the returning champion, Mr. Zach Wilkerson, the new Papa himself. And joining us because Vince is away is our old friend, the regular substitute. I, I, we need a good nickname for Walt. The uh, I don't know what. We'll 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 workshop and get back to you later. Walter Richardson. Hello, Walt. Hello, hello. Thank you for filling in for Vince. Certainly. Uh, I think, especially get,
0: considering I didn't have to do much back reading
1: this week. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I think we gave you the easiest assignment in the history of subbing on this show, because Probably. you just read three issues essentially. Um, three,
0: three large issues. Yes,
1: absolutely. And, and I, I would say that uh, the Greenland, the Green Arrow annual or anniversary issue rather, is almost like reading three comics in itself. Pretty much. Uh, but you know, that's all right. Um, Let's actually start with that Green Arrow 80th anniversary 100 page spectacular. So I I kind of had a general conversation wanted to have with you guys before we got into the specifics of this issue. I was really surprised at the creative teams on this in this special. There were a couple of people that were a classic Green Arrow um, creators. You know, you had Mike Grell, you had. Andrea Sorrentino and Jeff Lemire doing their thing. You had Ben Percy and Otto Schmidt doing their thing, but there are a ton of creators that are associated with Green Arrow that were not a part of this, and I'm a little bit surprised by that.
2: You're, you're mad that they didn't get Kevin Smith and Brad Meltzer?
1: <laughs> well, so, uh, Brad Meltzer did not do as much as you think. Actually, I I, no, I, ever- I, know, I know he did. I originally wrote fun. that down like where's my Smith and Meltzer as a joke, and then I realized he didn't do as much as I thought. Um, yeah. But you know, there there are a number of, of pretty significant ones not counting Kevin Smith. You Winnick know, is the is a big one. Yeah, Judd Winnick, Winnick is a big one. I was surprised that Andy Diggle did not do one, given how important Green Arrow Year One is, the sort of the overall Green Arrow mythos. Um so he does get a name drop via
0: that one character that's named. After yes, him. he does. Um so, but I guess it doesn't quite count.
1: Connor Hawk was created by Kelly Puckett and Chuck Dixon wrote like 60 issues of that character. Well, I think, I think think we all, we all know why that, that didn't happen. Um, I'm a little bit. It's because DC discriminates against conservative (laughs) Uh writers. Yes, of course you figured it out. You, you cracked the case there, Walt. Um, I'm a little bit surprised we didn't get a JT Krull story, because as bad as... <laughs> well, are I- you? <laughs> yes, I am, because recently what was the last one of these 80th anniversary ones we had? Um, I, I don't know. There were some dog shit creators on that too, but there are people who had like a long history with a character. And JT Krull wrote Green Arrow for longer than I realized when I was looking it up. Um,
0: yes, for a good amount of years.
1: Yes. And then the other person I was surprised about, because in the last couple of months we've seen a lot of CW actors writing their own characters in comics and Stephen Amell played Oliver Queen for something like seven seasons I'm surprised they didn't have him write something.
2: Man, I'm glad you weren't the editor on this book. (laughs) Yeah,
1: thank Christ.
2: I'm not saying that I want those things. I said
1: I'm surprised by those things Uh, Instead, we actually got a really interesting and good collection of creators on this i i think the the work is somewhat up and down but i think that you know i'm not complaining about having you know mariko tamaki tom taylor stephanie phillips i'm not i'm not mad at having these these sort of new wave dc folks writing these stories i'm just a little bit surprised at it, that's all
2: I'm, sure. I'm gonna go ahead and start off with a bold claim that i think this is the best one of these that they've done
0: really interesting that is, that is a bold claim because i would say uh the opposite really I, okay I, I didn't Ooh. to be clear I didn't I didn't hate it or by any stretch or, or I, I didn't even like sh- I wouldn't even say that I disliked it um, but I know that the thing that you guys have talked about a lot and maybe I was on an episode where we discussed this as well is how there's been like you know so many of these uh, 80th 70th whatever anniversary uh, collections have been just great. Um, You know, maybe, you know, quality goes up and down, but overall they've, they've, they've trended up. Um, And usually they each have like a couple of stories that are just, you know, moi, wonderful. Um, But I just felt like I, I don't really, again, I don't really dislike anything in this collection, but nothing really like had that uh, spark in my opinion.
1: May I ask a, a follow-up question to that? Sure. Which is that do you think that Green Arrow as a character is not as interesting as the other characters we've seen or doesn't have the robust supporting cast or insert no, other I reason like do you think it's a Green Arrow issue or do you
0: think it's No, just- I, w- I wouldn't <laughs> say that at all and I think that we we can see the uh the foundation for what could be like, you know, interesting stuff in here and and you know for anyone who thinks that oh you it doesn't have a big cast or whatever there's certainly multiple stories in here that you know prove that wrong right I yeah I just think that the for the most part I think that these are fine but fairly generic Green Arrow stories most of which are carried by the art which generally is quite good um acro- across the stories um but they're all Fine. I guess maybe we, we'll, we'll get into specifics. Um, but yeah, it, it's not that I dislike this by any means, but it just compared to uh, how good I thought all the like preceding ones were, I, this kind of like left me a little bit uh, cold and just like, oh, no, that, that was an anthology. All right
2: now i'm uh i'm struggling to remember how many of these i've actually read the only two that even really stand out in my mind are the green lantern and the flash ones and i my recollection of those was the flash one was pretty good and i think i generally did not love the green lantern one so
0: i may not have read the green lantern one there was the the Wonder Woman one was very good. Yes, it See, was. I don't
2: even know if I read that. Did I read that, Brian? We'll have to check I, I the tapes. I don't know what you read. <laughs> we'll have to check the tapes. I don't know. You probably pretended you read it. Probably did, yeah. I don't even remember. I know they did a Catwoman one, which I've not read, and they did a Joker one, which I think I read, like, one story out of that. Um, yeah, so I don't know. And but And I'm sure we'll get into it more. I think... There are a couple, I mean, there are a couple stories in here that I genuinely, like, really enjoyed a lot. Um, There were a few status quos that got revisited that I really enjoyed seeing again. Mm -hmm. And also, I think, like, just Green Arrow is a character that I really like in DC, who is very underrepresented. You know, you think about it, he hasn't had an ongoing since the Percy run ended. No, that's wrong. Yes, that's that's correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, there there was a short stint after the Percy run where some other—I think it was—oh, um, it was the team who also did Birds of Prey for a minute. I think they wrote it. Oh,
1: was it the um, the Hacktivist guys? Uh...
2: No, it wasn't. It wasn't Lansing and it, it actually wasn't... they may have done it for a minute. <laughs> it was um, the two female creators. That, oh, um, the
1: um, the. Uh it's gonna come to me in a second i know who you mean uh they were tv writers they were over supernatural
2: yeah yeah i think that they did like a very short stint that that tied into the bensons that was going on the bensons yeah they did a minute on the on the book and remember that tied into stuff that was going on in. uh i think in snyder's justice league at the time the stuff with like green arrow and the and the secret box or whatever do you remember that
1: yes that that all tracks i'm, I'm yeah, shocked you remember that
2: oh i you know that's that's exactly the kind of thing i would remember <laughs> um i could maybe even tell you how many issues that went to but i won't try <laughs> we to.
1: haven't we haven't played that game in a long time uh, <laughs> uh, so how many issues did the threshold have
2: uh eight i'll
1: look it up while we talk um um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> um i hope i'm right i think i'm right um but, like, that was maybe, like, 2016, I think, when you that You were correct. It, it,
1: it was eight issues of th- a Threshold. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. That was, like, 2016 or 2017 when that book ended. And there hasn't been a Green Arrow run since then. And, like, he he and Black Canary are kind of getting uh, a, sp- a spotlight in by Bendis right now. But they still don't have their own book. Yeah. Um, and so I, I I really liked, I think, getting this massive dose of Green Arrow stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I was asking that question of Walt about why he didn't like this, I was not trying to imply that I don't like Green Arrow. I actually love Green Arrow. I came on board Green Arrow during the Connor Hawk era, so right. I, I even love the weird Green Arrow stuff. And I think that this book does a really nice job of giving you an overview of who Green Arrow is from being, like, the Bat-clone of the early days to being... I think it gives a pretty good indication of his relationship with Black Canary. It does a good job with Roy Harper, with him, his role in the Justice League. The Connor Hawk story we'll get to in a minute, but you know, I, I think it, it, it does give you a pretty good overview of who Green Arrow is as a character. And I also think that if you... If you're looking at any of the stories that were written or illustrated by a classic artist, oh, by the way, I should also mention Neil Adams only did a cover for this, and that shocks me. I thought Neil Adams as the as he was Denny O'Neill's partner for that the hard traveling hero stuff, I thought for sure he'd have something in this. Um mm-hmm. But what I was gonna say is like if you if you didn't read The Jeff Lemire run, and you read the Jeff Lemire story here, it's very indicative of that run. Same thing with the Ben Percy piece. Same thing with the Mike Grell piece. I think they did a good job representing different eras of the character across this book, too, which sometimes they don't always do in these anniversary issues.
2: I I did want to talk about that because I feel like maybe more than any of these that I've read, this is like a um, almost kind of a – Encyclopedic look at the the major touchstones of like Green Arrow history I you know you you get A bit of flavor from each of the the kind you know how they always do these uh like the The decade covers that go along with these right the stories don't always align with that though I feel like this actually Each story almost can can kind of align with a particular decade of, of the you know the touchstone status quo artistic style what you know whatever of green arrow in that period and, and I, I thought that was really cool um how well they captured that
1: yeah i yeah, definitely I, agree I definitely yeah all right so sh- shall we get into these stories then Absolutely. Okay, so the first one is called "The Disappearing Bandit." It's written by Mariko Tamaki and illustrated by Javier Rodriguez. This one is very much a, as like I mentioned before, kind of showing how Green Arrow and Speedy were basically just Batman and Robin with bows and arrows for a couple of years. There was the Bat Cave, there was the Arrow Cave, there was the Arrow Signal in the sky, there was the a- Arrowmobile. Uh, it was, it was really very, very. Redundant if you're reading one to read the other. But I'll say, I think Tamaki, as we've come to expect, does a really nice job of telling a fun story within that pastiche. And I think that Rodriguez's art manages to capture everything about the Golden Age without necessarily making it into a joke like I, I some sometimes someone will do a story like this and everything is played up for humor in just how old-fashioned it is. and I don't think Rodriguez does that, but I think that he definitely nails the sort of visuals of the Golden Age and even even down to things like the page construction. I think the page is more these pages look more like Golden Age comics than a lot of the facsimiles that we see uh, nowadays.
0: Right. I, th- I think it's it's somewhat analogous uh, to the late great Darwin Cook in that it like if you really put this side by side with like, you know, an actual Golden Age comic. Well, no, they they don't look anything alike, but there's a similar feeling and a similar, you know, uh, tone that ca- that uh, is shared between them. So and I think that's what's more important with these kinds of things, you know, not just like doing like a a straight up copy of that style, but kind of evoking the same feelings. And I think that's what uh, Javier Rodriguez is very good at in this. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, he is a, a criminally under underrated artist, I think, who doesn't get talked about enough. Um and all, I hardly ever see Rodriguez Rodriguez doing DC work. Um, I feel like most of the time we see him at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this this was really good. I I enjoyed this story quite a bit. It was very fun. Uh, had a very goofy twist. Um, I liked it a lot.
1: Yeah. Uh, what what I think is going to be my technique for this, just so you guys know, is we're just going to do these quickly. But if there's one we really want to dig into, feel free to but I'm fine just each doing a couple you know like we just did for that last one if you guys are cool with that yeah absolutely that's fine. okay so next one is called Punching Evil by Tom Taylor and Nicola Scott a fun combination of writer and artist this is about Wildcat training uh Ollie to be a better boxer and it involves one of my favorite Wildcat things that comes in and out of continuity which is his actual <laughs> nine lives sometimes he's he's supernatural and has actual nine lives sometimes he's just a dude I love that sort of stuff though um I thought this was fun. There's nothing really groundbreaking here, but I'll look at Nicola Scott art all day long. I think she's one of the best artists in comics right now, and so just getting her to draw this was worth the the price of admission for me. Uh, do either of you have a strong take on something in this in this story?
2: Um, I don't. I don't have a strong take necessarily. Um, it was a fun story and. This is un- kind of unrelated to the story itself, but it is uh, interesting. This is a reunion of uh, Tom Taylor and Nicola Scott, who had worked together on Earth Two after James Robinson left. Yeah.
0: That's right. And it does. It does like the fun thing of, hey, you know, th- like it's not outright stated, but I'm pretty sure like the whole point is like, oh, this is the origin of the boxing glove arrow. Uh, yes. But it's done it's done in a way that it's not like, uh, what, what was that? I mean, we could still get a uh, article and I'm sh- from, you know, <laughs> websites that will remain unnamed about, you know, Green Arrow's 80th anniversary spectacular reveals the origin of the boxing glove or whatever. But it's not like overly done like, you know, oh, you know, look at this. Remember, you know, it, it the Taylor and Scott don't like you know really lean into it too much. It's just a little fun thing.
1: No, I, and maybe this is just me being a dummy, but when this story started, I never thought that's where it was going. Because Wildcat right. trained all these boxer, all these heroes to box back in the Golden Age. That was like his thing. And then once it happened, I'm like, "Oh, that's a really clever way to to bring that into it."
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I do maybe I I may, I may be mistaken, but I do think that it has been a thing in the past that that Black Canary has like a very special um, mentor-mentee relationship with Wildcat. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, so yes. this this kind of like harkens back to that, and and one thing that is kind of fun with this, just in a in an Infinite Horizon lens, is that like all of this stuff that before would have just been like a relic of previous continuity has like a chance of being relevant and and referenced again in in current stories and so so that's kind of fun like reading through this um it's not like during the rebirth era even where these were coming out and um you know it's just like oh that was a fun status quo we'll never get that again whereas now it's like oh we could actually see this and this is actually probably even squint and this is this is kind of like in continuity again in a way which is very fun
1: yes yeah absolutely all right uh next up is who watches the watchtower by stephanie phillips and chris mooneyham chris mooneyham who i have not seen in a while he did five ghosts over at image that was the name of that book right walt the um frank Barberi book i if i i
0: haven't read much uh Barbary. i think that was the name of the book the, I really... the name the name rings a bell for sure um five ghosts mm-hmm. but i i can't say for sure whether or not um
1: I, I thought that was in the multiversity only reviews image comics era in which you were a part of it so i wasn't sure if uh it
0: it, it was it... That That's that's probably why I recognize the name. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but I'm pretty sure I didn't read it.
1: What I was going to say is I think Mooney Ham's a good artist, but here he does a pretty spot-on Bronze Age impression here.
0: Yes, it's a, mm-hmm. it's, it's, that is exactly what I wanted to say. Very, uh, and, you know, we mentioned Adams at the beginning. He's clearly channeling Adams. And again, it's kind of lo- what what I was saying earlier about Rodriguez, where, like, no, the... The line work is not like, you know, just like a spot on imitation or anything, but there's a very similar energy. Even his Hawkman's very hairy uh, yep. <laughs> as Adams loves to do. Um, so, yeah, it, it is clearly uh, going for that kind of thing. It's only it's only once those like aliens start appearing that they they look kind of. They look, I don't want to say out of place. That sounds negative I because and I don't think that it's jarring in that sense. But I think with the alien types, uh, you you get kind of more of what looks more like this is what Mooneyhans art yes. kind of looks like generally. One hundred percent not doing the uh, Bronze Age impression. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, but I thought I thought it was fun um, and it. Probably better than having actual Adam's art in the issue, you know, let's be real. No offense to one of the greats, even if he believes the Earth is expanding.
1: (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) Um, I mean, to be fair, if he was writing it, though, also, then we get a Batman Odyssey level insanity, and that might have been fun in this issue. Zach, what did you think of this story?
2: Uh, I liked it. I liked the satellite era. Um, I like the... Hawkman Green Arrow rivalry um I like anytime Green Arrow is like doing that angry face like on that first page you know he's he's outraged I love anytime he's outraged um I always just think about the the first thing I think about when I think of Green Arrow is that panel in Final Crisis where he's like this proves I'm ex- I've been right about everything and everyone this whole time um yeah, so it was fun.
1: I liked it. Yeah, th- this is this is definitely a lot of fun. I um I'm glad that the whole issue wasn't artists just trying to cop a prior era, but mm-hmm. I think that Rodriguez and Mooneyham did a really nice job with this, and uh it was just enough to be nostalgic and fun. Yeah. So um next up is the Mike Grell story. For those that don't know, Mike Grell was sort of the Green Arrow creator of the eighties and early nineties. This is called just the usual stuff. Grell writes and draws it. I Grell's Green Arrow was weird because for a long period of time they never they never referred to him as Green Arrow. And it was it was it was like a very strange it was it was essentially what you get sometimes. It's almost like Alan Moore's swamp thing where it's it's one of the most popular versions of the character but it also kind of has nothing to do with the character in in a lot of ways but i sure. you know it can, the, the grell stuff can be fun and i think his art looks here you know relatively close to what it used to be he's maybe lost a step or two but it's not too bad but if you're not a big fan of the grell era i don't know if this is as engaging as some of the other flashback stories in the book
0: yeah th- this is one of those ones where it's like you know Well, it's nice that they gave Grell, you know, something to do, you know, out of recognition of it. But yeah, it's it's not terribly interesting or exciting. Um, It's just like it's like, oh, you know, nice to see Mike Grell. Uh, I do like the very cliche, definitely not the end at the end. It's like, yes, yes, it is. (laughs) This this is very likely to be the last Mike Grell. Uh, Not that he's I don't know how like old he is or anything like that, but. At least until like the, uh, uh, I don't know if he'll be around for the hundredth anniversary <laughs> issue. I I just it just seems unlikely to me.
2: He could. He's only seventy three.
0: Yeah, I mean. Yeah,
1: I mean at least at least the ninetieth <clears throat> anniversary issue, right? Do you
0: um, really think they're gonna do a Green Arrow ninetieth anniversary? Why would
1: they do an eightieth, and not a ninetieth?
0: Because they're just doing a bunch of anniversary ones right now. Because wasn't like. Wasn't like the wonder. One of them was but, like, but Walt.
1: Five. But Walt, don't you understand that this is going to happen in another ten years? They're all going to just turn the next number. <laughs>
2: eh,
1: but I don't know. Yeah,
2: they'll do it all again. Except there won't be any comics by then. So true. Comics are going to be over by then.
0: It'll just be they'll... NFTs. Oh, that is exactly what I was about to say. But that bubble, pops, <laughs> I guess.
2: Um, I do think there is a clear line. At least to me in the stories in this book that are the exact same creative team that is associated with a run compared to the creators who are doing riffs on particular eras where like the riffs I think can be enjoyed by anyone but the the stories in this that are just direct the the, the exact creative teams I really think you most people will only enjoy them if they read and enjoyed and had an, an affinity for that run
0: yeah i would agree with that
1: assessment yes i think that's fair all right so next up we have um a story, a story called the arrow and the song by rom v and christopher mitten i do want to say there's also there's actually a fair amount of mignola verse artists in this book uh mitten uh we get a fiumara story later on i believe yes um Jorge Coronas done some Mignola stuff, I believe. So that's interesting. Um, what I want to say about this one, I only have one thing to say, which is that I feel very sorry that Rom V caught whatever disease Tom King has that makes <laughs> yep, him yep, just yep. Uh, put poetry in comics for no reason. But I, I like both of these creators. I thought this was a, uh, a waste of a story,
0: personally. Yeah, it was.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. The, the was art was good. Yeah, yeah.
0: It, it was nice to look at. Um, I don't I don't know. I don't know Mitten uh particularly well, but because I I'm not up to date on the Mignolaverse stuff. But you know, it, yeah, it looked nice. That's about all I can say about it.
1: Yeah, I would say this isn't even the best of Mitten. I would think you, if you guys want to see some Chris Mitten, look up his uh, his Mignolaverse stuff. I think it's a little bit sharper than this. Um, we also get this. We get this fun little two-page spread in the middle called um, "Lessons in Friendship with Oliver Queen," where it takes actual pieces from old comics of just him being a dick, mm-hmm. and that was kind of fun. I wish I wish the 80th anniversary specials in general did more like this. Mm-hmm. I feel like these are fun little, even if they're not really f- for me. I think they're fun little interludes to throw into an issue, right? Um, Agreed. Yeah. So, uh, okay, moving on to uh, a story that is the Connor Hawk-focused story. So this is the one I was really uh, interested in. This one is called uh, One by Brandon Thomas and Jorge Corona. My issue with this story is, I don't think it was a bad story, but I think that if you didn't know who Connor Hawk as Green Arrow is, you don't know it from this story all you know is that he's not Oliver Queen
0: yes
2: yeah and also if you didn't read Grant Morrison's JLA you don't understand (laughs) quite a few things that they talk about in this story
1: yeah um
2: it's The, the stuff with the key and the Justice League
1: Yes. Um Connor Hawk's a weird character that I, I happen to really have an affinity for, and he's getting a moment right now in Robin, which is cool to see. But it it should still be a uh it's it just I don't understand why this isn't a why they didn't take this opportunity to show people why they'd want to go back and read Connor Hawk's stories.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair criticism of it. Um, I do
1: like Corona's art a lot. It's oh, it's, yeah.
0: it's fun and zany
1: and really goes for it in a couple of segments. And I really appreciate the visuals of this.
0: Sorry, Walt. Go ahead. Oh no, that, that's that's pretty much what I was going to segue to. That it, it looks really good, um, and I really like uh, Lopez's co- colors as well. It's mm-hmm. got a very nice uh, pop to it. Reminds it reminds me a bit of the uh, palette that um oh what was the person on the on uh, Snyder Capullo's Batman run oh um, uh,
1: FCO FCO Placencia
0: that's it yeah it reminds me of the colors that uh, Placencia used in the uh, zero year
2: mm-hmm. I can see that yeah yeah I can definitely see that Anything yeah, else to add, I don't, Zach I I don't yeah I, I mostly agree with you guys I, I don't you know the storytelling was. Or, or the dialogue, I guess I should say, is, was was pretty serviceable. Um, I feel like Brandon Thompson is like a newer name who who Thomas. is kind of. Did I say Thompson? You did. Okay, Thomas. Yeah, Brandon Thomas is a is a newer name at DC, and his work I think is generally like fair to to good, and I I think that this is just um, kind of kind of. Closer to to fair, but the the visual storytelling in this, I think, is extremely good. Um, maybe maybe the best in the whole issue, I think.
1: It's one of the more unique looking ones in the whole issue, for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So up yeah. next we have a Green Man and Autumn Sun, which is written by Devin Grayson and illustrated by Max Fiumara I mentioned before uh, another Manilaverse verse uh, veteran who is just amazing. I really love his artwork. And this is, I read this story and I enjoyed it, and then there's a little footnote at the end that talks about how this is sort of continuing the um, the Navajo storytelling tradition. And, of, and it's in, it's an, I should mention, it's a um, Roy Harper story. And I thought that the tying in Roy's native heritage was actually a really smart move for this. I thought that this looked really good. Fiumara does a nice job of again not totally aping past eras, but like there's a there's a a panel he draws where it's basically everyone looks like they're from uh, the New Frontier, without being a Darwin Cook, you know, rip off. It's just it's there's so much interesting good artwork in this. My only critique of this is just it reminds wow. us how done dirty Roy Harper was was done by killing his daughter for no real reason yeah
2: i yeah i'll yeah. oh, go ahead walt
0: no 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 you go ahead zach
2: well i i was just gonna say i actually i think this was my favorite story in the issue mm-hmm. um like the, the art was really good but also this just i think that this Whereas um, with the Connor Hawk story, you, you know, we, you mentioned that you didn't really feel like this told the reader anything about Connor Hawk. I feel like this short little story tells you everything you need to know about Roy Harper, essentially, mm-hmm. in a really, like, heartfelt and meaningful way. Um, yeah, a lot of that is in the art, but it's in the, it's in the dialogue, too. Um, and it's really funny because, you know, Roy is such a big deal in Infinite Frontier right now, and I, I – have just kind of been trained to like not care about Roy Harper over the last decade or so. And so I haven't really been interested in his arc moving forward, but this little eight page story reminded me, you know, very much why I should care about that character because he is extremely good. He has like a very good history and has been been through a lot and, and is kind of a cipher for a lot of stories about trauma um and uh yeah i just i actually really like this story a lot
0: see my, my slight uh damper what towel opinion on this is that i think it kind of went too far in the other direction of that it just kind of tells you about roy harper it i mean like all the stuff with his daughter is cute and everything but it's it is it is like you know, and, and it looks great, but I just feel like there isn't really a story here. There isn't really, there isn't really much to it. I felt beyond just, hey, here, this is who really Harper is. If you don't know, um, you know, there's stuff with, with his daughter, but I, I don't think it's enough.
1: I think that's a fair criticism. I, I may not feel as strongly as you do. On that tip but I, I definitely think that's a fair criticism I will say that like Zach was saying I think for a lot of people you know who aren't who have been reading comics as long as we have you may not know why you should care about Red Arrow or Arsenal sure. or whatever we're calling him and this lays out a good case for caring about him but if you already know who it is maybe it's not quite as, as essential of a story but I'll say that I think Fiumara's visuals make the somewhat redundant information go down pretty smooth, though, because sure. of how good the art is. And the coloring. He also colored this uh, story, and yes. the coloring is also excellent. So, All right, that brings us to the Phil Hester story. Hester was a longtime artist on Green Arrow in the uh, Kevin Smith, Brad Meltzer era. And right. um we have sometimes established on this show the good Phil Hester versus the bad Phil Hester. This is the good Phil Hester, and I wonder if that has to do with being inked by uh Andy Parks or Andy Parks, mm. I don't know how that's pronounced exactly. But um I-, I thought that this looked about as good as you'd expect like a really good Phil Hester green arrow to look. Uh it it, it checks all those boxes for me. This this story is really the hey, look how interesting his his supporting cast is story. Um, but I, I thought that this one checked a lot of the sort of nostalgia boxes for the nineties late 90s, early 2000s Green Arrow stuff. Zach, what did you think of this?
2: Um, aside from the art, I thought this one was just okay. I, I didn't care much for it. Well, I do agree. It's the good Phil Hester. This okay. is better than even the recent Superman stuff he did.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd agree that this is it's very, very good to look at. Very good to see, you know, Hester doing Green Arrow again. It, it's it's another just kind of nothing story. I feel um, good, I but the art's good enough that it's still worth, you know, looking at. Yeah.
1: And that, like we were saying for for Mike Grell before, like it's I'm, I'm glad that Hester got a chance to do this. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, up next is "Happy Anniversary" by Vida Ayala and Laura Braga, a a a very DC in 2021 creative team. I feel like in 2019 we wouldn't have seen either of these artists, either of these creators doing much for DC. But right now DC seems to be bringing in just a really interesting cavalcade of. Of creators and I'm glad that Ayala and Braga are part of this uh, well why don't you start us off with this and I've been doing a lot of talking
0: so so I'd say that this in terms of the writing this was my favorite of the stories it, it had the most uh, It had some of the most fun character work for both Ollie and uh, Dina um, just a fun idea like the I the idea that um, that oh, did Ollie like, you know, the game himself? <laughs> um, or, it, but oh, no, no, he was actually just wanting to see a martial arts movie. Uh, just It's just fun, and uh, Slade's reactions to their, you know, uh, playful banter, you know, is, is wonderful, even if it's just like two lines or something like that. <laughs> I thought the art, I mean, it's it's very talented it's good there's something about it that just doesn't maybe it's Lucas's coloring I'm not sure that it feels a little sterile to me um, I can't quite put my finger on it but I feel like it was more stylistically safe than a lot of the other stuff in this book
1: I, I can agree with that yeah
0: so you know, just kind of not as interesting to the eye. I think that's fair.
2: I I think I agree with that as well. I always think, I don't mean this like meanly or anything, but I always think that I like or I'm going to like Braga's art more than I actually do. Like that, I had a similar experience with um, the next Batman in Future State. Mm-hmm. Um, it is good it's technically good and there is just something there's like a glossiness to it and that is the coloring um that maybe is putting me off uh i don't love but this um this particular status quo which is kind of the mid to late 2000s winnick stuff i guess it'd be like more mid um where, where Ollie and Dinah are, are married. That was like when I got into DC. So this is this was kind of the the status quo that I came into. So I have a little bit of a, an affinity for that reason. But I, I thought the story was cute and fun, but it, it didn't leave a huge impression on me.
1: I think that's fair. You know, I, I think that, that um, Braga's art, like you said, is, is technically very good, but maybe just doesn't take enough chances. And I feel like with this kind of a story... It could have gone. I mean, I, I guess you can't go, you know, super duper weird. But I think in general, you could have taken. There could have been more chances taken here. It's a little safe. I think, I think Walt used the word "safe," and I I would concur with that with that assessment. Um. All right, the next story up is the Ben Percy Otto Schmidt story. It's the sympathy of the woods. This is the story, I, I think I think it was Zach that earlier said that if you didn't read the runs of the people who are coming back, it would have been hard to maybe appreciate the story as much. And I feel like this one is very, very steeped in the Ben Percy, Otto Schmidt status quo. But I happen to love that status quo, and Otto Schmidt is a really great artist, and so I had a lot of fun with this uh, story. Zach, what did you think of this story?
2: Um, I also really enjoyed that run a lot. Um, that said, I didn't think much of the story. I thought it was a fun. It was fun to see that creative team come together again, but it was a pretty slight story.
1: I actually do have the word "slight" written on my notes. I, I think for <laughs> I, I think for me, it was just seeing Otto Schmidt draw these characters again. I, I was uh-huh. happy to just. Basically do anything to get more of that, you know,
2: I I think I agree with you there. Yeah, it it, uh, of all of the, you know, returning creative teams, this 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 is definitely the one that I have the most um, sentiment for. So, yeah, I I enjoyed it for that reason.
0: Well, so I did not read the uh, Percy Schmidt run beyond the first issue, I think. Uh, Not that I didn't like it, just, you know, too much stuff to keep up with. Um, and now Schmidt's art is so so good it's so good I love it um, that being said I don't think having not read it the fact that I don't know these characters like I don't think that was the issue with it I just think it's a slight story all around it's just another it's again it's like hey look at these characters like I get the point of who these are and I don't really feel like I'm missing out on anything. It's just it's just a little snapshot story, which is fine. Sure. Yeah, I could see that.
1: Um all right, well that brings us to the uh the next story which is called The Last Green Arrow story and this is by Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino. Walt, did you read
0: this run as it was happening? I did not, which is what what i thought zach was referring to uh the first time he brought that up because i feel maybe i was like misreading it but i feel like this was like some sort of reference to something in (laughs) his run is it
2: so i didn't i never finished it i read i read probably like half of it and then dipped off i i felt like I don't think that this is a reference to something in that story, in that run, though. I could be wrong because, like I said, I haven't read the whole thing, but I, I don't feel like it's a direct reference to that. And I, I, I felt like maybe I was kind of dumb reading this issue because I, I kind of get what is happening here or what I think is supposed to be happening, but I also am not a hundred percent sure on that.
1: So I did read that run. But I can't tell you if this is a reference because I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah. I, so here's what I'll say about that run. That run was happening at the exact time that Arrow was popping off, right? And so much of that run is inspired by Arrow, whether it's introducing the character named Diggle into it, or it is um, making the island where Green Arrow was formed like the like the second most important character in the book. And so I, I don't know if we're supposed to know exactly who this character is that we that we see him encounter on the island. But I also so, think it, it also doesn't really matter.
2: Sure. my my read is that it's him. Like this is old Ollie and young Ollie. It's how I read this. but I don't know if one that doesn't make sense and two. It doesn't make sense.
0: <laughs> but, right. But there that's how I a read line it is. I've been going in a circle all along yeah. uh, in the last couple pages. Yeah. So that could be it.
1: That That's certainly a bold choice if, if this is supposed to be Ollie. Uh, regardless, I think that even if you don't understand exactly what's happening, I think it's a beautifully constructed story. Sure. And Sorrentino is just, you know, the best. He's just so, so good at this. And I think that Lemire does a good job. Although I, I, our, our pal Vince did put on Farmers Only Today something about how basically if Lemire has a co-creator, the story's, the, the book's not going to be as good as if he just does it by himself. And I think for his creator-owned stuff, that's absolutely true. I think for his um, like DC stuff... I think it really is super artist dependent for him. If he has a good artist working with him, I'm much more apt to enjoy it. And I really love this combination.
2: That's 100% how it is. Absolutely. You, You hit it. Yeah.
0: So I'm kind of, I feel like somewhere between like five, 10 years ago, I was all in on this kind of style that, uh, Sorrentino has, um, a, a similar artist would be uh, Tom Coker on the Black Monday Murders. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Black Monday murders? Yes, yeah. Wow. There, there are a few artists who like have like a similar, you know, they don't look alike, but it's a similar approach to their style where it's kind of like a heavy inking over top of realism. You know, they're thereby kind of like obscuring the realism. Um, and I'm I'm kind of just tired of it. I feel like it's a little bit played out now, which is a little unfair, but um, it just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me like it used to. I totally get that. The thrill is gone. <laughs>
2: Something I, I think that's kind of interesting here that I think I'd have to double check just to compare to the original run, but uh, Sorrentino is listed as the only artist here, and I'm pretty sure on the original run and a lot of Sorrentino's DC stuff, Marcello Maiolo, Maiolo yes. was the color, uh, colorist. here it's
1: listed as Jordi Belair. It's just in the... Oh, I yeah. missed that down
2: there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, it, I see. He just gets
0: top billing. Yeah. yeah,
2: I I missed that little side note there. Um, but still, Belair is a much different colorist than Maiolo. Maiolo uses really uh, vibrant, uh, popping colors, usually. Mm. Um, and they Air does a little bit of that, specifically in the pages that have, like, the green tint. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything else is just kind of, like, earth colors.
1: Yes, she's very much aping Myolo's art in the sort of silhouette panels, mm-hmm. but not in the story itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm, I'm flipping through this again as we're talking about it, it seems like because... so. Old man Ollie asks for an arrow to hold on to while he's being immolated. And he says, I, I've, I've been holding it for you. I mean, keeping it safe for you, rather. And so I wonder if it is a loop where after he burns, he will pick up that again. And this just keeps happening.
2: It's just weird. I don't, I don't understand how this is the last green arrow story necessarily right There, there's this has never been a um a part of the green arrow mythology in any way
1: not as far as i'm aware no yeah um next we get a chili recipe uh illustrated by patrick leeson of all people
0: um, well, this is this is a I, I, reprint I, I... what is that what is that a reprint from it's from like an old like Secret Origins or whatever. Because I, I was waiting for a Green Arrow's chili reference, and I was disappointed that this was that they just like reprinted. Oh, okay. Um, this page. Um, so, yeah, it's fun, but yeah. at the same time, I feel like one negative, like with reprinting things like these, and this isn't really fair. But like, you know, I can Google Green Arrow chili, and I get this page. Sure, sure. You know, it's not yeah. as like fun and new anymore. Right. It's it's like it's like if DC like included like a uh, picture like a reprint of like the panel where that gets edited to say like you know my parents are dead with Batman right. slapping yeah. Robin. It, it's like you know, fine, I guess. Yeah.
1: Uh, did you happen to catch? Because I know you said you're done with this book now, Walt. But did you happen to catch that Barbara Gordon was wearing a T-shirt with that panel on it in the last issue of Nightwing? Huh, no. Yeah. It's a fun little touch. Um. So then the last story in this is called Tap, 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 and it is a Denny O'Neill. It's not a Green Arrow story. It's a Denny O'Neill story. And it was written by his son, Larry. And so I did some research. I wanted to see if Larry had written comics before. And from Denny O'Neill's Wikipedia page, it says, he was the father of writer, director, producer Lawrence O'Neill, best known for the 1997 film Breast Men, starring David Schwimmer. <laughs> so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's you have to do. You have to bring that up in the, when we're talking about this comic. That's a tribute to his dad. No, I could not say it though because it's pretty funny.
1: I have to say though, this is this is a very very nice tribute to his father.
0: Um, yes, it's very very touching. It um, is. It feels like one of those things that it's hard to really to criticize in in that regards. Like I don't want to say that. You know, oh, you know, this guy's like heartfelt letter to his uh, dead dad. It's like, you know, another nothing story, like some of that. And I don't think that's the case. But it does, there is like a certain amount of, like, you know, yeah, you don't want to be too harsh with it.
1: Literally, the only critique I have is that it's so funny that the Joker and Rachel Ghoul are looking sad at the, at the, at the deathbed <laughs> of Denny O'Neill. Yeah, the,
0: that, that. That classic, you know, yeah. it, it has they, echoes of Dr. Doom crying. At, exactly. <laughs> I, exactly. I
2: exactly. Um, it is nice to see Fornaz on something that's not uh, Rorschach.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Or... Free Fornaz. Yes.
2: Free Fornaz, yeah. Uh, we, we should say we got
1: a very, very nice email from a reader this week who said that he would pay us to read uh, Rorschach and talk about it on the air. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I don't think we can do that to ourselves. Um, uh, not even for money. We could for money. It depends on the money. I, I said the money's right. We'll do anything. We're whores. <laughs> um, all right. So overall, thoughts on this issue? I, I know Walt had said originally it was a little bit of a uh, letdown for him. And uh, But, you know, Zach thought it was one of the better ones. Having talked it through, do have either of you changed your position? No.
0: Uh, uh...
2: No, I don't think so. I generally don't I, I generally don't like these that much and I, I liked this one, so I'll stick with my my verdict.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and and I and I am still of the same mind. I think I think it was fine, but not uh, particularly uh, notable. Sure.
1: All right, well, let's take a very quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about the two annuals released this week. So stay tuned. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily.
0: I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster.
1: A Silent Voice.
0: And Pokemon Adventures.
1: We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed
0: notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note.
2: At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick, so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for
0: future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice.
1: And we are back to talk about Catwoman annual 2021 i just want to say i love that dc is putting the year back into the annual titles
0: that yeah, instead things... of the weird like you know annual number one and then everything's annual number one and then since the series like doesn't go more than uh <laughs> like 12 issues then there's like you know a bazillion yes
1: yeah yeah so just just call it what it is it's the Catwoman 2021 annual written by rom v illustrated by kyle hotz Fernando Blanco and Juan Ferreira and, um, Walter DM me earlier and said like, do we know this character was a, a St. Dumas character or Dumas perhaps? Um, and I had said like, no, I, I think Vince and I had maybe talked about how maybe there was an Azrael connection because of the last name of Valley, but this is a father Valley origin story And I think that your enjoyment of that is really going to hinge on how much you care about the current Catwoman status quo.
0: And how much you loved all 100 issues of... uh, Of Asriel. Asriel.
1: Yes. Yes. Of course. Um, Did either of you guys have a particularly strong reaction to this? Nope. So...
0: (laughs) So... So... This does the weird thing where... It's an annual, but it really is just another issue of Catwoman. Yes. It's just an excuse to have like another uh, issue that's a little bit larger. Um, but it really is like, I guess it's somewhat differentiated by with like, you know, the origin aspect to it. But there's also all this stuff that that's, you know, all these like, you know, cut ins to what just happened in like the ongoing um, that. Yeah, this just feels like another two issues of Catwoman combined, you know? Yes. And I, it just kind of feels like I don't know why this is an annual besides just we wanted to print the Catwoman annual.
1: Right. I mean, to me, the other annual we'll talk about in a little while is a true annual. Yes. Where it feels like something special and different compared to what we've seen from the main series. This, aside from it... Being a Catwoman annual that doesn't have Catwoman in it, it's not really different than what we get month in and month out on that book.
0: Yes, yeah. That being said, I like what we get it month in and month out on Catwoman. I, I thought this was, like, I didn't, I didn't love this uh, by any stretch, but I thought it was entertaining and it's you know fun to see throwbacks like you know everybody's uh, favorite '90s uh, religious. Fanatics of comics. Uh, <laughs> nice nice throwback there. Um, but it is it is just, yeah, it's just another issue. Um, not much. I, I don't really have much to say about it, I feel, for, for as much of it as there is. <laughs> yes. In particular.
1: Yes. I, I actually have written down, there's a lot here, but I have nothing to say. <laughs> so I, I completely yeah. concur. Zach, anything
2: different? um no i i liked this less than the current Catwoman run in general um this issue was saved by the art um i love kyle hots and i wish we got more hots i've got the hots for hots (laughs) Hots. um
1: you said it before i did
2: yeah i i have it um so that hots like being on that sequence made me a lot more interested and invested in it. Um,
0: so I don't, I don't know Hots uh, particularly well. Which, which uh, segments did Hotz do?
2: He did the whole middle part, everything, well, middle
0: part. the flashback. Okay, that's what I thought. And yes, that is, that is very excellent stuff. There's someone it reminds me of that I can't put my finger on. It's, um... <sighs> right.
2: he's He's kind of... I don't know. I don't remember exactly the first time I saw Hots. Um, I think it was in a swamp thing.
0: Yeah, it kind uh, of gives me like early Otts Vertigo vibes, yeah, maybe. You maybe. guys uh-huh. are both uh, gonna disagree least. with
2: me on
1: this because I think neither of you are fans of this person. I know Vince hates this person, but this seems <laughs> like a Kelly Jones uh <laughs> feel right. to
0: as me. soon as you said Vince hates this person. Yeah. I can kind of see it and there I think there's some stylistic similarities, but it's not as exaggerated as Kelly Jones. No, You know
2: what it is like to me? Um, it, it's kind of like a mix between Kelly Jones and um, something else that Vince hates, which is uh, fun. not specific, the whole comic itself, but um, Ryan Stegman's work on Donny Cate's vi- uh, Venom.
0: Interesting. It's okay. like a
2: mix between those two things.
0: I feel it's not quite, it, it's not really like quite angular enough to give me like vibes of... Stagman,
2: well, that uh, you you mix it with the very roundness of Kelly Jones' work.
1: Yes, what Vince would call lumpy.
2: Yeah, the (laughs) lumps. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, and I do. I mean, I do like Asriel. This was more of an Asriel comic though than a yes, yes. Yes.
1: Well, absolutely. And I think that if we had been primed for that in prior Catwoman issues, this would have felt better
0: this sort this will, will landed better, rather? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess as as you say, we kind of are in that it uh Valley in a Gotham book. It is I felt kind of stupid when you brought that up because I was like, oh duh. You know. <laughs> like why why didn't I think of that in the slightest before now? Um Father
2: so John Misty Valley. Has yes. been made that joke yet?
0: I don't think
1: so. I think you can copyright that and get him really mad that you thought of it before he did. Okay. You cannot
0: copyright a single line joke. Um, <laughs> you know, I just wanted to go back and make sure that, okay, good. And, and Sorry, this is being a bit flippant about something that was serious. Um, that Azriel does appear in the uh, Denny O'Neill tribute comic. So that's good. Okay.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Thank you for doing the hard work.
1: And that brings us to our our, our last book with Walt. We're going to take a break after this book, and, and Zach and I are going to quickly go through the different chapters of the Infinite Frontier Secret Origins, but due to some weird things with uh, access to review copies, Walt doesn't have those, so we're going to let him go a little bit early tonight. Um, before that, we're going to talk about the Teen Titans Academy 2021 yearbook. I love that they went with a yearbook
0: instead of an annual for this. Right. You mentioned, you mentioned the other annual, and I was going to get pedantic and say, <laughs> well, technically.
2: Right. Well, I, I wanted to get pedantic a little bit because in a lot of ways, this feels almost more like a secret files.
0: Mm. Like, like, yes. the,
2: like the and I, I think late that's 90s. They, are, yeah.
0: Yes. I think that's what they're going for in that regard. Um, yes.
1: There, there's a lot of good in here. This is this is a really fun issue. There's also some just very funny little jokes that if you're not paying attention, you will miss. For instance, photo essay: the show choir's original production, "The Judas Contract on Ice." Like that's a pretty funny joke for a, a, a yearbook, you know, uh, title yeah. page here. Um, yeah. And so the first story we get is a story about Stitch. Uh, A character that is obviously a brand new character for this. It's called Stitch in Time. It's written by Tim Sheridan, illustrated by Bernard Chang.
0: Stitch has been... all of these are written by Sheridan, right? Yes,
1: yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Stitch has been in the background of Teen Titans Academy for the first few issues, but has not had a ton to do. And this is basically just a story about, you know, he he is... I'm sorry, they. They are are gender nonconforming. And, you know, Stitch's character that, like, doesn't have a mouth, but is always at breakfast and has been used for comic relief thus far, but we don't know much about them, and this story does a good job of both giving you like uh, an understanding of where the character's coming from in terms of they don't have many friends and they're self-conscious about that, and they kind of act like an alien does in some stories where you have to teach them about how to you know, interact with these weird humans or whatever, so there's that aspect of it. But there's also a twist at the end where we did not know this that stitch is the apprentice of dr fate and that adds a really cool unexpected element to the story i thought this was a really nice stitch showcase walt what did you think of this story
0: yeah yeah i thought it was good i I liked the like you know opening like Stitch's dream with the cool coat and sunglasses and all that um i thought chang's art was Probably, Chang was probably my favorite artist of the book uh, I, th- I think that Chang has a really nice superhero style um I hes- I hesitate to use the word house uh, that that sounds you know derogatory sure I sure I mean it that way uh, but you know this this looks like what a what I feel a DC comic looks like but still feels individualistic enough like you know I can see this is Chang coming sure, through. yes you know? Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of like dynamic, um, action as well as like, you know, character expression, uh, hits a lot of good notes artistically.
1: And we should say this is colored by the aforementioned Marcello Maiolo and you can really Mm. see the bold choices in coloring that Maiolo makes throughout.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Love Maiolo.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Zach, what'd you think of this?
2: Oh, I like this a lot. I think I said last episode that I really, you know, Stitch is my favorite character um, from this run so far and starting off with a, uh, you know, a story focused on them that is both really well written and insightful and then also ends on that very fun, or well, not necessarily ends, but kind of has that very satisfying reveal about Stitch's, I guess, kind of, you um, Greater role in the, in the DCU that that was good. So yeah, I enjoyed this story quite a bit.
0: Right, because if it because if it was just like a ragman reveal of something, yeah, <laughs> that would be like, oh yeah, you know, well we get that. Uh, Doctor Fate is definitely a different angle than I was expecting. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, then we get the uh, the sta- the faculty page in the yearbook. Uh, good joke here. If Nightwing's bio not being approved before print deadline, uh, appreciated that. And just I think that this this annual this um, yearbook does a really nice job of balancing between being being a bunch of new stories, but also having enough to actually make it feel like a yearbook. Yes. And that's that's really enjoyable. If it was just a yearbook goof, I don't know if I'd have enjoyed it as much, but I'm
0: definitely glad that it's there. Yeah, there isn't there isn't. Too much of the like, you know, uh, secret files type stuff going on,
1: right? All right, uh, the next story is called Five More Minutes, again, written by Sheridan, illustrated by Marco Santucci. This is a, a, a short and you know, relatively slight Beast Boy Raven story. Um, I don't have any real thoughts on it. Do you guys?
0: I thought I'm this. Still- Oh, go I ahead, thought, Walt. Oh, I, I thought this was uh, the weakest of them. It feels like, like so the 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 flash forward. You know that at the beginning, the premonition. You know, obviously, that has to do with like you know the future state stuff. on uh, so that's not new. And I don't really think it. I don't really feel like it gives us much more about Raven and Beast Boy's relationship. It's so yeah. It just, just reminds like us of it. Yeah. Exactly. That, that is a good way to put it
2: this is this has less to do with the story more so just dc's current publishing initiative and kind of where they're going but i am just like very fascinated anytime they throw in this future state stuff because it's it's just every time i'm like okay but are you really gonna like connect this to future state are you really gonna right are you gonna connect the dots is that really going to happen because this is they've been doing stuff like this in the main series too yes and and in other books too you know connecting to future state stuff and it's just kind of like this weird game of comic book chicken um it's like are you really gonna do this so that's the most interesting thing about it to me is the just the kind of meta level what's going on in publishing right now
1: yeah we get some some more candid photos, the class superlatives, Bolt is the most athletic, Friends Till the End, be in Roundhouse, Best Hair is Brick, most likely to succeed is Gorilla Greg. Most independent
0: is Matt Price. Now uh, the, these these ones are all just from the past, like what, three issues? Yeah, something uh, like that. Three or four issues, yeah. So I'd say these feel kind of like the most uh cheap. Sure. It's only two pages, but it is kind of like, okay, is this, is this really necessary? There was a
1: short-lived cartoon based on the Kevin Smith series uh, film Clerks, and famously, their second episode was a clip show of just the first episode. <laughs> it's a good goof. This isn't quite executed as well as that. No, uh, no. Since Vince is here, I have to bring up Kevin Smith. Um,
0: oh, we already talked about him with Green Arrow. So. That's
1: true. We, we got to get, get in twice. Double so, dose. Yes, the um the next story is called "Mother's Brothers, Kittens, and Cake," and it's illustrated by Darko Lafuente, who I'm, I don't believe I'm familiar with.
2: Isn't that? I thought the art looks like David Lafuente's art.
0: Yeah, I just Cred- saw Lafuente and thought it was credited
1: here as Darko. That doesn't mean it's yeah. not. It's just I, I'm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was
2: confused by that too. Um Darko Lafuente though is a is an artist on Comixology who only has credited work, you know, starting in the last
0: you know, probably two or three years. Uh, he uses the pen name Darko Lafuente since 2019. So it okay. is so same person. Okay. Um, Interesting. Okay. Was not aware of that. Um,
1: I thought this was a really fun story. I really enjoyed this. The art is really nice in this. I think that um, I, I I'm a sucker for found family stories, and mm-hmm. this is very sweet. There there's not an ounce of cynicism in this, and I I was afraid with a book called Teen Titans Academy that it would be snarky because of snarky teenagers, and I'm not against snark all the time, but. This was just really, really a lovely to be Matt story. And Absolutely. Uh, I, I I ate it up. Def- yeah. Definitely
0: my favorite of the stories in terms of how it was written. It was the it was the most compelling to me of all of them. Um and La Fuente's art I think La Fuente, La Fuente has always been good. Um, but I think particularly in recent years, um like maybe La Fonte maybe had some issues early on with, like, characters looking kind of similar, um, you know, style style overwriting, like, kind of differences. But I think that's a thing of the past. Like, uh, th- this looks really good. Again, uh, mentioning the colors, the palette's really nice. That's um, Miguel Amerto. Um Yeah, this was just really solid, I think.
2: Yeah, agreed. These are, these are two of uh, the newer characters. I, I like these characters quite a bit. Matt's kind of a nice uh, mystery character, and Tubi is kind of like the new Gold Balls, so <laughs> it's fun. As opposed to Roundhouse, who's the old new Gold Balls. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, this is just... I, I, I We had said, I think it was last episode, or maybe it was two episodes ago, that the only real issue I have with Teen Titans Academy aside from the Suicide Squad crossover which is unnecessary is just that there's not enough time to tell stories with all these characters because I like all these new characters quite a bit and I want more time with them so this this book is perfect for that reason as it gives us a little bit of time with some of these characters that maybe haven't been getting as much screen time as we'd have hoped for or page time however you say that yeah um The final story is, again, written by Sharon. It's called Extraction, illustrated by Rafa Sandoval, who is uh, the regular artist on Teen Titans Academy. And this is a Red X story, and I am sort of shocked at how much I am finding compelling about the Red X story because I have no personal attachment to the Teen Titans uh, animated series. And... I thought that the Red X stuff was maybe the least interesting stuff in the book thus far. This story is kind of a boilerplate story, too. I don't think there's anything too much in here, but I really liked the way it tied in to the beginning of Teen Titans Academy at the end. And I thought mm-hmm. this was better than I guess I'd have thought a Red X story would have been going in. But this is my least favorite of the stories in the book. Now, I guess I don't really count the, uh, the Beast Boy story because that one's so slight. <laughs> Yeah, it's barely, it's barely a thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: So uh, I think I'd agree with that. Uh, for the most part, it is, it is like notably darker than everything else. But I mean, that is, that is a thing with Teen Titans. You know, Teen Titans has always, you know, s- not always, but since uh, the Wolfman stuff, it has been like one that, it has been a series at DC that, you know, might have like, you know, the, I mean, it's the Teen Titans, you know, that sounds, you know, so nice and fun. Um, but it like dips into some darker stuff. Um, likewise, I also have no connection to that to the uh, animated series. So, but I think that the way that they're like implementing this red X stuff, you know it's it's a very reminiscent of like alias,, um, you know, this kind of like retroactive like inserting a character in the past that wasn't there before. and i th- I think that Sheridan's doing a really good job of like kind of like, slowly giving us more and more about red X like you know this time we get like okay this red X also this still isn't you know like there's still the mentions about like oh it was dick but this isn't dick um so who was it then so like and essentially we've got three red X's we've got dick was red X what does that mean what did he do as red X that's still kind of ambiguous we've got whoever this person was nine years ago and we've got whoever uh is posing as Red X now. Um, I think it's a nice, like, layered thing that's being that's being implemented quite well.
2: I agree with that. Um, I think Red X is so far like the concept of Red X is like a cooler Red Hood. Yes, um, <laughs> he's a he's a better Red Hood, um, and i don't love i talked about in the last week in the last issue of titans academy i I don't love how the the mystery the identity mystery is kind of dominating the story right now um at the same time i do kind of like how they keep throwing these red herrings out at us um Mm -hmm. like the last issue of titans academy i think it was the last issue really went out of its way to debunk the idea that Billy Batson is yes. the current Red X. But then this issue indicates that the, the the person who is Red X now was in foster care as a child, which is another tick in Billy Batson's box for being Red X. So I, I do really like how kind of playful it is with leading and misleading.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um,
2: I am afraid that it's going to end up, like, being a character that we just, like, haven't really seen yet. Because, like, in the interstitial between this story and the one before, there's kind of, like, a a yearbook photo section. And a big part of it is X'd out and says X marks the spot. And you you can't see who's under the X. But the characters that we do see is pretty much everybody who's in the book so far. (laughs) So... I'm a, I'm anticipating the reveal to be disappointing and lackluster, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, that that is sometimes like the the curse of these kinds of stories is it can't it can't live up to the hype.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, agreed.
1: Um, but overall, I thought this was a really fun alternative to a traditional annual. Yes, it was a good framing device for sure. Mm-hmm. And for Tim Sheridan to be in his still in his first year of writing comics is pretty insane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Walt, we're going to let you go. Where can folks find you on the internet?
0: You can find yeah. me at twitter.com, at goodbye to a shoe.
1: And you also are one of the co-hosts, along with Zach, of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast, dropping the indeed. first and third Fridays of every month. More uh, or less. More or less. Where are you guys in your One Piece Club right now?
0: Uh, so I think right now the plan is that we are going to do Impel Down arc next. Uh, that'll be mid July, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll be heading from there into um, oh, I forget the name of it. The the big white beard war. Um, uh, yeah, Marineford. Marine for Marine for
2: Par- Paramount arc.
0: Yeah, which will be a big deal. Like that's the biggest thing that happens in the series for up until that point and for quite a while so yeah that's all new to me so i am looking forward to it
1: how far into the series are you guys right now there's over a thousand (sighs) chapters at this point so how far in are you um
2: we're close hmm. to halfway yeah
1: close to halfway all right um all right and uh we'll be back in just a minute uh and uh to talk about the secret files issue of infinite frontier so stay tuned all right, we are back with uh, Infinite Frontier Secret Files. This is being released in six digital chapters as well as a print collection. So, um, the first story, which is yeah, the first digital issue, is titled, I'm scrolling up, Make Time. And this is a President Superman story written by Brandon Thomas, illustrated by Valentine Delandro. Uh, Valentine Delandro does not do enough stuff at DC. I really enjoy his work. And this was uh, super fun.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong. I think all of these are also co-written by Williamson.
1: Williamson script. I'm uh, sorry, plotted all of these with the writer. Story.
2: Yeah, you're right. You're right. Story so, by. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Josh
1: Williamson did. Uh, that's thank you for pointing that out. He did um, act as sort of the showrunner for this book. And which makes ha- sense. Makes total sense. Yes. Um, so this is a President Superman story, which I know is Zach Nip to the extreme. Uh, what did you think of this?
2: I actually like this a lot. I came into this expecting to just moan and groan my way through it, and um, this this first issue was a lot of fun. Um, a very unique Superman story.
1: Yes, I love this idea of him trying to literally create time and then like save time to re um, basically replenish himself every day. That's really smart. I think that Thomas and Delandro, first of all, all, Delandro just recently did um, that uh, Mr. Miracle backup in Future State. And I I think you can definitely see the similarities in the artwork there. But I thought there was using that Black Martian space is a perfect example of doing something that feels Morrisonian, but it's actually an original idea. Mm hmm. You know, I feel like it's always hard to do one of these characters to do a, a to write a story for a character that is so associated with one creator, and obviously, President Superman is a Grant Morrison thing.
2: Yeah, but I thought that Thomas this, did a good job. This felt a bit like an All Star Superman bit, you know? Yeah, in a way, not not exactly, not even really. I, but there's a there's an aspect to it it being just kind of this fun one and done high concept thing very yes. enjoyable i liked it a lot
1: we we should state that this is all being framed by detective bones is looking through cameron chase's files and that is so each of these secret files is basically just looking at or listening to a tape that she has on each of these different characters so that's the framing device here mm-hmm. um the second story is called Seeing Red, and it's a Roy Harper story. And this is written by Stephanie Phillips, illustrated by Inaki Miranda. This is really a nothing story. This is just yeah. to remind us that Roy Harper is here, in case you haven't read Infinite Frontier 1 or you haven't read the Green Arrow 80th anniversary story.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: it's it's fine. It um feels like a prelude to an event kind of thing.
1: <laughs> yes, this is the one I would say that has the least stuff. The least meat to it of yeah. all of these. Yeah. Uh, the next one is called My Brother is Kind of a Shadow. It's a jade and obsidian story written by Dan Waters, illustrated by Stephen Byrne. Stephen Byrne is great. I think we're both on record as being big Stephen Byrne fans. I know I am.
2: Yeah, we are. And I, I think we're both pretty big Dan Waters appreciators as yeah.
1: well. Yeah, his stuff on Future State was excellent. He did the Superman Wonder Woman story, right? hmm Yeah, yeah. He, that, that was excellent. Uh, this is really interesting because usually whenever Jade and Obsidian are put together, Jade is very much, this is like a cliche for the characters, but she is very much the light part of the story. She is mm-hmm. the optimism and the all that, and Obsidian is the darkness, and this flips that for the most part. Yeah. And I
2: thought it worked really well. What did you think? I liked this a lot. This was really well written, um, very... You know, these are characters that I really like who haven't gotten a lot of attention in a few years, and this and this is kind of like I said, um, you know, I think a few weeks back, just kind of about how Infinite Frontier really just kind of picks things up from right before Flashpoint and just runs with them. This this feels like a story that you know, alternate history. This this picks up right in 2011 you know yes. <laughs> to me. yes yes um it feels really good it it makes me think of um james robinson's jla <laughs> um yeah baby. especially especially with jade like dealing with the star heart stuff and um this is yeah this there's just a lot of like fun callback stuff callback to you know her time with kyle parallax shows up in this which is wacky in a flashback um but yeah, specifically the stuff with like her and obsidian is really well written. Their relationship together as brother and sister is really good. Um, I, I feel like the way that they dealt with the villain was really smart and fun. And, you know, kind of in a dealing with a, a comic book threat in a non violent way was, was fun. So, um, I enjoyed this quite a bit.
1: Yeah, th- that's very well said. I wanted to talk about the sort of again making Obsidian not just the more optimistic part, but also the more pacifistic part. Uh huh. Is very yeah. is a very interesting turn for that character. So yeah, really, really well Agreed.
2: done. Agreed. I would actually really like. Um, so Burn, I feel like, has done a lot of stuff with Alan Scott in mm-hmm. recent years. I f- yeah. I feel like Byrne has illustrated quite a few alan scott little stories and in anthologies or vignettes and things um i I would love to see a dan waters steven byrne jade and obsidian book
1: give me them on uh on jsa
2: yeah that'd be great and then that would bring in alan too yeah i um make it so It's not going to happen. We already know what the JSA book is going to be, and I'm sad about it.
1: Yes, we do. So next up is a story called The Two Totalities, which – can you guess who it's about, Zach? Mm, Perpetua. Uh, good guess. It's actually Fifty Sue. No, um, it is <laughs> <laughs>
2: Telos. <us. laughs>
1: it is actually about the totality, which is the name of the team. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of forgot about this team that was formed at the end of Death Metal. To be honest with you, because we haven't really seen them much since. But it is, and I'm doing this from memory. Let's see if I get it all. Martian Manhunter, Lex Luthor, Talia Al Ghul, Vandal Savage, and. Is it Lois Lane? It's not Lois Lane. No, that's checkmate. I'm thinking of Checkmate.
2: Yeah, there is a bit of overlap uh, between Checkmate and the totality.
1: Who am I forgetting? Who's the fifth member?
2: Oh, okay. So then there's Hot Girl. Hot Girl, yes. There's there's another member, too. Oh, is there? Yeah, there's six because it's three heroes and three villains. Oh, yes. Who is the other one? Mr. Terrific. Mr. Terrific. Yep, there we go. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, this was written by Brandon Thomas, illustrated by Inaki Miranda. And at this point, I just want to say, the art in this is way better than it has any right to be. Like, for this type of book five years ago, DC would have had all, like, bargain basement artists on it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, and we don't have... mean that meanly, but yes.
1: The art in this is is really, really excellent. Uh, so this this is basically a... We get the totalities of two different parallel Earths uh meeting yeah. up. And... Totalities of two worlds yes. would have
2: been yeah, an hmm. apt title for a- this.
1: Absolutely. What did you think of this story?
2: I like this. I think um so after the President Superman one and then one that we'll talk about later, this was probably this was probably my third favorite of this bunch. Um I thought this was a lot of fun. Um It kind of has a a silly, it kind of does, like, I feel like it pivots mid-story. Like, at one point, it's telling one story, and then it kind of does this hard turn to tell another story. Yes. And then it comes back around to the first story, um, which is kind of impressive for, like, a 10- or 11-page story. (laughs) Um, But conceptually, I liked it.
1: Yeah, this is um this story feels like a classic multiversal story in that you have these two sort of equally powered groups trying to not really uh, not really dominate one another but sort of just flex the, you know puff out their chest a little bit and just claim superiority but at the same time the martian manhunter characters are kind of double agents for the others team in terms of testing them it's just it's a really smart relatively nuanced story to get in this secret files issue
2: yeah agreed agreed and it it um it like presents some pretty interesting teases of like you know things that we might be looking forward to later down the line with like you know foreshadowing like uh superman is probably not going to be too happy when he finds out about this there's like big marvel illuminati vibes yes. with the totality um yeah you,
1: as the hickman simp you have to you have to get that in
2: yeah well and, and i'm not the bendis simp i'm not no <laughs> sometimes i wish i was but i'm not <laughs> well
1: hickman did it better
2: he did it better yes yes yeah.
1: Uh, uh, all right. So then after that, we, oh, I just want to say uh, Inaki Miranda's stuff looked really, really good in the story also. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think
2: it, the it, writing teams on these are the, – the whole creative team is generally pretty impressive, I think. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: What I was going to say about Miranda's art is that it's tough to present two – versions of the same character and not have them look identical or have them look so dissimilar that you don't almost believe they're the same character, but, like, every character just had, like, a tweaked costume or a little bit of a differentiation thrown in there, and it was a really, really effective, uh, just visual story. You knew exactly what was going on, even though the visuals might be a little bit confusing to the untrained eye.
2: mm
1: hmm mm-hmm. Um... So the fifth story is called uh, Truly Two, and it's a uh, director Bones story written by Stephanie Phillips illustrated by Phil Hester. I alluded to this earlier with Walt. This is the good Phil Hester again. Like this this really looks good here. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it does. I think that some of that too comes down to the coloring. Um Nick Filardi is the colorist on this. Mm-hmm. And I it- actually
1: wrote down also that Andre Parks coloring him is very I'm mean, inking him rather. It's very important too.
2: I think so too. I think you're right. Um, but I really like the kind of flatness of the colors. Mm -hmm. Um, some very high contrast to, it just looks, yeah, it looks really good. Um, throughout. So yeah, this is, I, I think I say this every time we get Phil Hester art. I think I'll say like, Oh, this is the best Phil Hester art I've seen in a while. Um, I like this yeah uh
1: this story had an interesting idea with Captain Boomerang plays a major role in this and it's it sort of it goes to maybe too maybe it's a little bit too on the nose with trying to present the fact that like Bones seems like he's a villain but he's not really a villain that he's been a hero in the past and that his um you know to, to, to quote Obi-Wan Kenobi like his his allegiance is to democracy but his allegiance is to like truth or secrecy or however you want to put it but like he's not really a villain and this story like I said kind of overplays that but I think when you come out of it you get a good sense of who the character is supposed to be
2: yeah this was funny because it made me think I don't remember what it was we were reading it was one of those events kind of in the like three or four years following crisis on infinite earths where mr bones was this character and he he, he was in this incarnation with the all-star squadron yes or infinity Inc. infinity Infinity Inc. Inc., yes that's what it was yeah and i remember reading that and i'm like who who is this character um and i think i had already forgotten that it was mr bones <laughs> or and this re- refreshed that memory again um i i think I think I also always get bones mixed up with black mask or half for a long time. Okay. Um, sure. Cause they look so similar. Yes. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was just like a fun callback. Oh, overall. I think this is a pretty, uh, I can't decide between this and the Roy Harper story, which is kind of the more slight or inconsequential of these stories. It's, it's one of those two. Um, but this one wins out in my mind, I think, because of the art.
1: Yeah, I'd say the Roy story is is less consequential, in part because if you just reprinted the story from the Green Arrow 80th we talked about before, Uh that would have given you a better sense of who the character is Sure. than this one does. Um, I also think that Bones needs a little bit more introduction and a little bit more uh, conversation around him than Roy does. So I I would say that that gets the... But again, that's not a the Roy story isn't really a bad story. It's
2: just kind of like I honestly feel like you get a lot of what you need from Roy from uh, I guess maybe you don't from Infinite Frontier number one. I feel like you do through some of the the uh, death metal uh, side material. Yes, and also um, he has that good
1: scene in Infinite Frontier Zero.
2: That's Yeah, okay, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I know there's an issue I'm forgetting. Yeah, the zero issue, yes.
1: Um, Agreed. Yeah. And that brings us to our final story, which is a shockingly good story. It's called The Third Question. It's a psycho pirate story by Dan Waters and Christopher Mitten. Again, Chris Mitten did work in the Green Arrow, which we talked about before. I thought the art on this one was excellent.
2: Colors, colors by Dave Stewart?
1: Yes, um, that's again that Mignola connection there with Mitt uh-huh. and Stuart. Um but I feel like Psycho Pirate is a character that can be a little bit hard to describe I feel like this did a really good job laying out who Psycho Pirate is and it really did the thing where it references the fact that you're reading a comic but it does so in a way that doesn't feel insulting or pandering it's just it's actually really masterfully done this is one of the best short comics i've read in a very long time
2: yeah it's kind of funny i think you know the book ends the first and the last uh chapters of this little uh these secret files are the best uh the best ones and this one yeah it's like you don't want to do the kind of metatextual this is a comic thing too often because then it gets really old and and trite i think but if you break it out every once in a while and you do it in a way that is kind of unexpected and surprising, like it kind of, it happens so suddenly here and in such a smart way and kind of like a terrifying way. Uh, it really goes to, um, I think it benefits this portrayal of psychopirate, the the way that, um, you know, the fourth wall is broken. Um, and then the way it's subverted even further with like the dark side is thing. Yes. Was really good. And that, I think that even goes, you know, we, I think we had talked about after infinite frontier zero, how, you know, bringing dark side back, is that really a worthwhile or believable, you know, thread? Is that something that you, you could really like get excited about considering, how many times Darkseid has kind of been portrayed and in all the different ways, but this um kind of I guess like upped his power level, <laughs> I guess a little bit. That's not like the best phrasing, but you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it it, it I think it gave you a better sense of the danger of Darkseid. Uh-huh. And also just it was it was really clever and fun.
2: Yeah, it was. It was yeah, it was very clever, I think. It it was A joy to read, I think.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, taken as a whole, I I think we said this before, but we should say it again. This Secret Files special was really
2: good. It was. Like, uh, you know, they're releasing all of these digital chapters as a one shot. um, And for anyone who, you know, is interested at all in Infinite Frontier or like what's going on in DC right now, I think it's worth picking up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I tend to think of our friend, our friend Greg Matasevich, in moments like this. Like, if you were going to bind Infinite Frontier, you would kind of need to put this in there.
2: You would have to, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Agreed. Uh, all right, well, that does it for this week. Um, thank you again to Walt. We were sorry we had to kick him off early, but that's just the way that the advanced review copies crumble sometimes. Um, you can find Zach and I on Twitter. I am at Brian and I'm at Wilker Fox. Uh, Walt already gave his Twitter credentials. You know that uh, Vince is over on Farmers Only. And we'll be back with Vince and Toe next week. So take care, folks. All
2: right,
1: now that the dead weight's gone, let's get to work. I know,